0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougal, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey.
1: This week I was thinking as the cold winds were blowing and um, snow falling, I feel that my own soul, the the cold winds that can just dampen the, my affections for the Lord and the busyness of life and just things going on and just praying, Lord, stoke my love for you, stoke my affection for you and and uh, just love how God does that through through the body and through gathering today and so thank you for being here today, excited about where we're headed, and we are at uh, week two of this new series, this reset around witness and Really, the goal each week as we hear from God through the book of Acts is, okay, as the the body of Christ and individuals playing our part in it, what is our primary calling? And to see that with such clarity that it just stokes our passion to to go live it out day by day, week by week, and accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. So last Sunday, we we began in Acts chapter 1. Today, we'll continue in that chapter, but do you remember the... uh, Jesus, he ascends to heaven, but before he goes, he sums up our calling with a word. We, we, we said, all right, boil it down to one word, it would be this word. Do you remember what that word was? It was witness. And he said, um, he gave us three promises that, that align with that calling. One, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Two, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And then three I will return for you, and so we're awaiting his, his arrival, and I love that picture of just the clarity of, of we are here, what is our purpose in life, why are we here at this time and place? It is to be a witness to him, that, that he is who he is, said he is, he's done what he said he, he has done, and, and to share that with those around us. This week, I walked into my office, and Dave Greeson, he is our on staff, is just constantly encouraging us. This time of year, he'll fix every once in a while biscuits and gravy or drop, you know, some candy. Well, this week, it was, he dropped this, uh, a rose on each of our desks. And what the rose immediately reminded me of was we, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, we put a rose on the piano. And it just moved me throughout the week as I looked at that rose of, of our calling and just, Lord, would you draw someone to yourself this week and let me be a faithful witness for you this week. And remember the disciples, they were when Jesus ascended, they're standing there looking into heaven, and the angels came and said, Hey, why are you standing here? You know, he's coming back as if to say, It's go time, it's it's time to go be a witness. But what's interesting about our text today, the first place that God leads his church after this call to be a witness, guess guess where it is? Un- unexpected. Ten days in a waiting room. Ten days in a waiting room. You would expect, okay, in this book of action and and activity to be, all right, here we go. But but God leads his church into a waiting room. Check it out. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day's walk from the city. So about a half mile, three quarters of a mile. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room, and some scholars feel this may have been the same room that um, Wes mentioned earlier where they observed communion, where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of, of James. And there they are in the upper room 10 days. And the temptation with this text is to just fly by it as a parenthesis in this book of action, you know? It's like, all right, they went up here and whatever, 10 days passed, and then it all begins. And we'll pick up next week where what happens is really exciting. But I think upon closer examination that that God has a reason for um, inspiring this Luke to write this, and there is a message for us in this text today. For we too experience waiting room moments of life, don't we? Those moments when we, it's pretty clear where we see God has put a desire on our heart or we see what's ahead of us and, and we're, or maybe it's awaiting His promise for us. We know right now we are in a macro or if you look at the meta-narrative, we're waiting His coming as His people, aren't we? We're, we're in a sense, we are all in a waiting room for waiting for His arrival but on the micro level of your individual life and the different seasons of your life and the, your faith journey, as you look at it, have, have there not been many moments where you find yourself in a, a waiting room season? And maybe it's waiting for, God's put a ministry on your mind or heart, and, but, um, and you see it, but it's just like, it's not happening yet, it feels like you're stuck, maybe it's waiting for a a new career, a new vocation, job opportunity, or maybe waiting for, in a season of waiting for your health to return, a, a literal waiting room season physically. Maybe it's waiting for a, a relationship or a relationship to be restored, but as, as we follow Christ, he leads us into waiting room seasons of life, and the gift of this text is that it helps us answer this question. What do we do in the waiting room of life? What do you do in those moments when you you know where you think you should be and and where God is calling you to be, but you're not there, and it seems like you're stuck in a season of inactivity, where where life is not um, moving at the pace that you would hope it would move, and, and it feels like this is a waiting room, waiting on God to provide, to lead, to go, and you're just kind of stuck there how do we make the most of the waiting room seasons of our lives three action steps that we we discover in this text as we watch these this first century church and the the first one there is in in the verses that we just read and it is, it is simply this be obedient to the revelation that we've already received question why didn't these uh, 11 disciples go back home to galilee where they were from to their home They were fishermen. Why didn't they go back to where their families are? You know? Um, We know Peter, James, and John, these guys own their own business. They're men of action. They're not going to wait around for things to happen. They're going to make things happen, a bias for action. So why don't they go back, get busy fishing, do what 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 they know to do, their vocation? It's because Jesus clearly told them in the text we read last week, wait, where? In Jerusalem, until you receive the gift that I've given you. And so, they're obedient to the revelation that, that they had received. What do we do in the wait? The seasons when we just feel like we're stuck and, and not sure what, um, where, what God is doing or, or in terms of the specifics of our lives, what do we know He's already told us that we can just be faithful in doing that thing? Question, what is God doing in the wait? So think about... Um, why do you suppose that in his sovereign plan, his perfect providential plan, he had them wait for 10 days in Jerusalem before the arrival of the Holy Spirit? Why, why did he do that? And more importantly for us, why do you suppose he is having you wait? Or why does he lead us into those seasons of, of waiting room for whatever it may be that we're waiting Why does he have Abraham and Sarah wait until they are way past the age of having kids to to actually receive their child of of promise? Why does he have Moses wait on the backside of nowhere for 40 years until he shows up in a burning bush and, and calls him into leadership of Israel? Why does he have Joseph wait? You know, he gave Joseph that dream when he was a teenager, but then he waits year after year, trial after trial, until that dream is actually actually fulfilled and he becomes second in charge of Egypt. Why the wait? Why does he have David wait? Remember, David is anointed king by Samuel at the age of around 17, teenager, and yet it goes decade plus through serious uh, challenges and trials until he is actually anointed king. Why the wait? It becomes clear throughout Scripture that God is at work in the, wait, in the wait refining our faith, isn't He? Before God does a work through us, He must do a work in us, and that work in us is teaching us to trust, trust, trust His goodness, trust His leading, It's in the waiting room we reckon with this question. Am I going to let God lead my life, or am I going to lead my life? Am I going to allow Him to to lead in in the uh, the timing of things, or am I going to be self-led in the timing of things? Will I trust the Lord to provide in His perfect timing? Remember King Saul. When did he lose the kingdom? When did King Saul lose the kingdom? Do you remember that? It was in the waiting room. There was a battle about to break out. His enemies were coming at him. His troops are scared. The the Lord was very clear. The king is not to offer the sacrifice before you go into battle, but the priest Samuel was to do that. He's waiting on Samuel to come. Samuel's not showing up. He takes matters into his own hands, disobeys, and offers the sacrifice and... uh, you can we, the, read the story for Samuel 13, thir- 13 to 14, but uh, Samuel finally shows up and says these words, if you had obeyed, the Lord, would have estab- the Lord would establish your kingdom forever. But we know the kingdom was torn away from him and given to David. I think it's significant that the first place that the Spirit leads Jesus in his public ministry is 40 days into the waiting room. 40 days into the wilderness. And what was at the core of every temptation that the, the devil came tempting Jesus? Every temptation was to, to seize the kingdom in his own timing, in his own way, to be self-led rather than relying on the will of the Father and waiting for the Father to provide. It's, it's true that the waiting room is where our faith is tested and we learn how to surrender to God's perfect timing. True faith obeys right James tells us true faith obeys but but how do we how is that fleshed out what's that look like it's it's being willing to do what the right thing even in the midst of of waiting for God to provide so here's a great small group question I that uh or you get together with friends that are followers of Christ as you look back over your life um share a waiting room moment and then when what did God do in your give you in those waiting room moments of life the uh, one of my favorites from our own church family happened before just before COVID it was January 2020 and uh, Doug Wicker was the chairman of our elder team he asked Harold Brown to give the the devotional to our elder team, to fire us up for the new year. So Harold, if you know him, he's a, just a saint of a guy, and he had just retired, so he had time. So I'm like, hey, this is going to be an awesome devotion, because uh, he's got some time to burn on this, and so I'm looking forward to this. So sure enough, Harold comes in, he had spent some time, and he gave, He said, okay, it was about knowing God's will for the future. He said, here are four things that we always know are God's will, that we can just obey, um, any, whatever circumstance we're in, boom, 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 boom. It was good. But then he took us to Romans 15. And I'm like, Romans 15, where's he going with this? And it's basically Paul telling the, the church in, in Rome, this is, these are my plans. This is what I hope to do. I hope to be here, boom, 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 boom. And he lists all these plans. And then Harold said this, guess how many of those plans actually came to pass that Paul made? And this is the apostle Paul. Guess how many of those plans came to pass? Zero. Guess where God put Paul? In a waiting room for two years. And Harold's takeaway for us was, guys, we can make our plans, but God's will will be done, and our plans may not come to pass. Now, as the point leader, I'm like, I don't like that devotion. (laughs) That was horrible. I was like, let's go climb the mountain. We got our plans, our initiatives for 2020. We're going to get them done. I mean, well, (laughs) how'd that go? It was, um, we had plans for like, hey, let's launch a church plant initiative. Two years that's been in the waiting room. But God's will gets done. And what's he teach us? Just be obedient in that waiting room. So what'd Paul do in the waiting room? Two years under house arrest? Well, I can't be out spreading the gospel, but I can write it. I can encourage the churches. And we have the epistles because he was obedient in the waiting room. God is at work in the waiting room, right? He must do a work in us before he does a work through us. And so may we just be obedient to him even when our life feels like it's on hold. And then the next uh, action step we see this first church taking is to be praying. We see this in verse 14 where he says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women. The women there, just uh, remember, the first people that Jesus appeared to when he was raised from the dead was this precious group of ladies who were supporting him in his ministry. The, The disciples all bailed on him except for John, when he was on the cross, but uh, who was standing around the cross in his moments of of, uh, deepest need? It was these ladies, and so they're here with the church. Mary, his mom, say where's Joseph? His dad, most scholars feel that he had already passed away, and then his brothers. We know he had four brothers, sisters were there as well, and what do we find them doing? They're praying. What do you do when you're stuck in the waiting room of life? Love this picture. They all joined constantly together in prayer. Be praying. This picture is a picture of dependence, the praying church, um, the posture that that God calls us to. As Luke writes, they joined together. They all joined together. These words carry the idea of being united or of one mind. The the words translated joined together is literally they were of one mind, praying together. We know... uh, there were some strong personalities in this room. Peter, James, J- James and John, the sons of thunder, they had tempers. Peter, you know, always speaking his mind. But I think about, okay, Mary. This is, Peter gets up and tries to lead, but can you imagine, what, what if Mary had said, hey, I'm the mother of Jesus here. Peter, you bailed on my son at his point of greatest need. I'll lead this thing. Who's going to say no to her? But what do we have in this room? One mind, sweet unity. How? Through prayer. Something about gathering in the Lord's presence together that draws our hearts and our minds together. Think about, you know, if your family's going through a hard time, What, what if or a time of disunity, what if you just get together and just pray? Talk to the Lord. It's powerful, isn't it? He draws us together. I love this picture. Um, praying together. It's what we do in the waiting room. The, uh, the gift of community. Notice that he also says they were, uh, what marked their prayer was that it, that it was constant. It was, it carries the idea of literally they, they devoted themselves to prayer. This wasn't a, an a appendix to the agenda of other things that they really wanted to get done. This was the agenda. Prayer was the agenda. Prayer, we, we often say, is the breath of our soul. It's just that constant communion with our, our, our God. And this church we see here at the start, it's a praying church. 31 times in the, this book of Acts, we see the church praying. It's the gift of the, the waiting room. and You know, I can't help but think God's, one of God's purposes for having this, giving us this picture of the church and giving them 10 days in the waiting room is just to help them assume a position, a posture of kneeling and dependence on Him that will will mean everything for the accomplishment of the mission. As humans, we have a a bias for action, don't we? What are we going to do? All right, let's go. But the, the only way that we accomplish what God has called us to accomplish is through the power of prayer. He has sovereignly ordained prayer to be the means through which His work of redemption happens. And hearts come open to him and, and uh, his gospel goes out and so um, he gives us this gift of the waiting room. One Wednesday this past uh, summer I was um, trying to get better at golf so I tried to have a I had a practice time. I was grinding it out, sweating. It was not going. It was not a good night. <laughs> and I'm just struggling trying to get this shot to go straight. Well the two golf pros out at uh, Twin Bridges are the nicest guys, BG and Jeff. And Jeff was out picking up golf balls on the driving range, and he must have seen me in my struggles and <laughs> had mercy and thought, if I don't go help this guy, he's going to quit the game and quit coming out here, because when he was done picking up balls, he was kind enough to stop, and we're chatting about stuff, and then he's like, hey, man, let me see you take a couple shots. Now, I didn't want to take advantage of him. His business is his counsel, and it's worth money, and so I was like, no, it's all right, and uh, I said, I know, really? And so I said, okay. So I took a couple shots, and he gave me one bit of advice. He said, John, you're, uh, all your weight's on your toes, and you're losing power with that. Lean back, let it be more on the balls of your feet. And sure enough, more balanced, there was power. So grateful for that bit of advice. And as I thought about that, and I thought about this picture in this first, this first glimpse of the church, The gift of the waiting room is, it reminds us, the posture we have a bias towards is action. Just as my bias still is toward lean up on my toes rather than lean back, our posture as humans is to get busy, to do, do, do. But where is the power at? It's in the posture of prayer. It's in the posture of kneeling. And here we see um, the church, what are they doing? It's not a secondary thing. It's the main thing. Have you ever been, has the Lord ever laid you up on your back with a sickness or maybe a hospital stay or something and you're laying there and you're like, well, I can do nothing else. I guess I'll just pray, right? (laughs) And and then you hear the Lord say, just pray? (laughs) Like this is the main thing and uh, this is not the secondary work of the church. This is the primary work of the church. And so may we be praying. I I was thinking this week, here's a crazy idea. What if we just called each other up like friends or family and just said, hey, Saturday night, you want to get together and pray? We do that for food. We do that for the, we'll be doing that for the Super Bowl or, hey, let's get get play games, whatever. But what if we just got together to pray and just go around and pray? Wouldn't that because we talk about that in, in, as our small groups, every meeting of our church, we want to be a prayer meeting, get together in small groups, we're praying, we get together just to catch up, we're praying, we get together for uh, ministry teams, we're praying. This week I heard a, a motivating story of a guy named, a prayer warrior named George Mueller. George lived in the 1800s and his primary ministry was to orphans in Bristol, he was um, over his life, cared for over 10,000 orphans. But uh, a pastor, I was listening to a pastor share of uh, a moment in his life when he began to journal. And he he wrote this, 1844, he entered this in his journal. I began praying for five friends who did not know Christ and committed to pray for them daily. 18 months lapsed, and the first one was converted. Then he said, I will pray on for the, the other four. And he continued Five years later, the second came to Christ, and then six years after that, his third friend trusted Christ, and he continued to pray daily, just persevering to pray for these guys. And then he died, and two still do, did not know Christ. It was fifty-two years after he began praying for these friends that those uh, second other two friends, they were brothers, trusted Christ as their Savior. I often think about this as I look at our family. We as kids would pray with my mom's family. Some of her family members did not know Christ. And we'd pray for them, for our family devotions. And she died. And still they did not know Christ. But years later, person after person coming to Christ. And just that encouragement that the work of God goes on through prayer. Pray on. Two great resources when it comes to prayer. One of them is this book, A Pray in Life by Paul Miller. And if you're looking for just practical ways to this is a great jump start to just pray for the people around you, pray scripture. And then a, another is by a guy named Don, Donald Whitney, and it's praying the Bible. And th- there's power in praying scripture. And it's a short book, and he'd give some just super practical examples, but he has a, an app, actually, you can go to. It's praying the Psalms. And someone, Eugene Peterson said, um, the Bible speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. And uh, we see in, in his book, in uh, Donald Whitney's book, he actually points to George Mueller, prays the Psalms, but he also uh, goes to Acts, and this first century church in Acts chapter four, they're praying the Psalms, and so a great way to, to be praying is to be praying scripture, and so I encourage you to, to check those out if you're looking for a, uh, a pump up in your prayer life. So in the waiting room moments of life, be praying. Think about those times when we're literally waiting in the line at the grocery store as everybody's storm prepping or at the line at the, uh, you know, waiting for the traffic light to turn or as we are waiting for our health to return or waiting for a relationship uh, situation to, to be resolved, to be praying in the waiting room seasons of life. Then the third action step we see here is in verses 15 to 26 and it is be preparing. Do what we can do while we wait verse 15 it says in those days peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about 120 and he said brothers and sisters the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the holy spirit spoke long ago through david concerning judas who served as a guide for those who arrested jesus He was one of our number and shared in our ministry, and I can't help but think one of the first things the disciples must have asked Jesus was, what was going on with Judas? And Jesus helped them process that. One of the things he did as he helped them process that was he pointed back to the Psalms that that prophesied Judas. They're in the Psalms, and Jesus taught them, um, said, hey, this is, this," and it's comforting. It wasn't an act, sometimes you wonder, did Jesus get it wrong when he chose Judas? It's like, No. This was part of God's providential plan. Luke gives us a parenthesis here in terms of what happened for the reader. If you didn't know, he says, With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. Now, Matthew gives this account. And in Scripture, when you have two, the same event but two different authors, sometimes they'll give different perspectives of what happened. Does it mean it's contradictory? No, it's complementary, but it's coming at two different perspectives. We know in Matthew's account the details... Judas actually was remorseful for what he did, and he threw those 30 pieces of silver at the leaders, religious leaders. They took that money, and they went and bought a field, bought this field, and it was this field where Judas took his own life, and we know he hung himself at some point. It says there he he fell headlong, and his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. And Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then may another take his place of leadership. So based on their, their study in Scripture, and they're their being led by Scripture, so here's, here's what they do. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us from the, with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when he was taken up from us, so this is the, uh, here we see what was the requirement to be an apostle of Jesus, and here we see the, the requirement, somebody who was with them and with Jesus from the time of John's baptism to the time of ascension, I don't know if you've seen the older movie now, but the movie The Apostle, and it's a guy, is it possible to have an apostle today? And, this guy, Robert Duvall, plays, it's a, almost a comical scene, but he, he baptizes himself an apostle. <laughs> Can you do that these days? Like, no, that's technical foul. That's, there's only 12 apostles. When the apostles died, the church did not replace them. Why? It's because of this requirement. It says, for one of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias, And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two men you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and to us this might seem strange. Casting lots in this day was to take a uh, stone and write on the stone the person's name, put it in a a pot and shake it, and then the first uh, stone that comes out, that's the person you choose. This was how God actually instructed them to divvy up their... uh, Temple responsibilities. So, this wasn't an odd way of choosing. It's interesting, though, this, never again do they cast lots after the Holy Spirit is given. They, they rely on, on his leading and the, the wisdom he gives. But the lot fell to Matthias, and so they added, he was added to the 11 apostles. And so, what do we see the, the, this church, the early church doing here in the waiting room? They're preparing, they're doing what they can do while they uh, wait for what God's going to give them. And the takeaway for us is, what, what is it that we can do in the waiting room moments of life? Often the waiting room gives us an opportunity to do what we can't do while we're out there busy um, getting it done. And so for them, it was build the team. Choose, a, choose another guy. I love this picture of, uh, we, we don't know anything about Matthias. Previous this moment, and there is nothing else said post this moment, except that we know all uh, 10 of the apostles died as martyrs, and Matthias' tradition has it died as a martyr in Ethiopia. Um, John, we know, died in old age, but as an exile. But I just love this picture of Matthias. He's a no-name, pretty much, but he was faithful, just doing what, what being faithful to follow Christ, and when it, it was his turn to step up and go, he was ready to step up and go. And great Uh, instruction for us in the waiting room moments of life just be faithful to um, do what we can do what can we do we can we can as we earlier be praying but we can be building our knowledge of and love for the Lord studying his word getting to know his word connecting with the team Um, whatever it is that, that this time affords us to do that we might not be able to do in a season of activity so Bringing it all together, what a thrill that in this season of life, and where we're at today, you guys, we are, today's the day of salvation. Like, we're part of this story. God is working out his, his plan, and we are His ambassadors. We are called to be His witnesses, as though God were making His appeal through us. But, but in our own individual faith stories, we come to these seasons that are waiting room seasons of life, that inactivity and appear to be put on hold for where we sense God is leading us. What do we do in these moments? And um, what we learn in this text, three action steps to take. The first is that we would be obedient, just continuing to be faithful, to do, respond to the revelation that God has already given us, that we would be praying, living in this posture of dependence on Him and waiting for His lead, and then that we would be preparing and just uh, doing what we can do in this season. And so we thought it would be good to uh as a, as we wrap up this message and really apply it in real time is to pray around our uh, student ministry and appreciate Landon Mock coming our uh and thank you for your help with we have 50 students uh, headed to the Dominican Republic to share Christ this summer. Right now is a bit of that waiting room time. And so Landon will share a little bit and then we'll just spend a, a few moments in prayer.
0: So uh... Hello, everyone. Not sure why they decided to let a high schooler up here, but here I am. <laughs> but anyways, firstly, I'd like to thank uh, those of you who've chosen to give your financial support to the Dominican Republic trip. I know, personally for me, it's an awesome, uh, an awesome opportunity to be able to go overseas and spread the light of Jesus to the people and the kids over there. And that wouldn't be possible without you guys and your donations, so thank you. Uh, secondly, I don't know if you've seen it on uh, your way in or way out, but there's a 150 days calendar in the back leading up to the Dominican Republic trip. In which you can sign up for a day or two or even more whatever you would like to but you can sign up to pray for the 150 days leading up to the Dominican Republic trip I know me and my fellow high schoolers would very much appreciate the uh, prayer and support that you demonstrate in doing that and so with that let's pray dearly father I thank you that we can all gather here this morning and gather in your house to learn more about you through your word lord I pray for the uh, success and the safety of our high school group going over to the uh, Dominican Republic this summer. I pray for the people and the kids over there that we'll be ministering to. I pray that they will be influenced and impacted uh, uh, to serve you, Lord, by by our high school group. And I ask that after this last song that we uh, go in peace and take to heart what uh, John preached this morning and use it to spread uh, uh, your light, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.